You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. Were you similarly uh, mesmerized as I was at the uh, first ever image of the black hole that the scientists released this week, this group of scientists? You guys know what I'm talking about? There's, there it is. I watched the press conference of these very smart people explaining things to me in simple language, which was really helpful. And I was really moved by uh, the passion and the joy and the excitement that these scientists expressed as they were sharing this amazing discovery. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not, this isn't really my area, so I don't really know what I'm talking about when it comes to big things that are far away from us. But I think up until, is this, is this any of your area? Are there any astrophysicists here? I just want to make sure what, what, how, how, uh, how uh, gently to step. I, I guess up until that point, we had never seen a black hole before like this, right? So e- even though we had generally... We, I don't know, it felt detected the gravitational waves that were likely created by like a black hole merger. Maybe you felt that sometime. <laughs> <We've>, <laughs> we observed uh, uh, gravitational wave events that seemed to be caused by a black hole, but we've never taken an image of it, seen an image of it. And outside of our understanding and belief in them, you know, our, our understanding and belief in them was largely based on a theory based on Einstein, Einstein's idea, right? But then, lo, lo and behold, in actuality, at the center of the Milky Way galaxy, there's, there's a black hole. It's monstrous, it's massive, it, it sucks up everything around it with intense gravitational pull. Not even light can escape from it. You know, it's amazing, this, this piece of lore that we have about, like children know about black holes. Really early on, for some reason, kids know about them. Why? I don't know. But they're part of our... They're a part of our understanding, part of our education. You know, and, and Einstein and others argue that this, this compact mass, the result of a fallen star, it disturbs space-time so much that it creates a pull, a point of no returns, the event horizon. It's very dramatic to me. And we've speculated that at the center of most galaxies is a supermassive black hole. And then on April 10th, we got to see a picture of it. It's just an extraordinary... uh, They even said, science will be marked by the time before this image and after it. So it's really like an incarnation to them. You know, it's a whole whole new uh, way of understanding the world. It was amazing, right? And we got to experience it, right? And that moment when we moved from the assumption to the fact... You know, it's 6.5 billion times the mass of the sun. Sun. I don't even know what that means, but that seems extremely heavy, right? 55 million light years away from us. And in order for a photon, a speck of light, to escape the hole, it would need to be 18 billion kilometers away from the hole. 122 times the distance between us and our sun. So it's, it's the gravity of it, no pun intended, is, uh, is incomprehensible, right? We don't, we don't even understand the, the, the uh, magnitude of this thing. 
You know, I was mesmerized at the incomprehensibility of the size and the power of its distance from us, reflecting then how huge the galaxy and the universe is, and of course, how small I am in comparison. For some people, that's a comfort. You know, the, the relative insignificance of your life is a comfort, right? It's a de-stressor, possibly. But it kind of makes me feel like, well, what's the uh, meaningless, too, you know? In, in, in the uh, shadow of this, of the, of the greatness around me. It's hard to think that you matter in a world that's so big. Some of you even feel like this room is too full of people. I don't even matter in this room, you know? And we're not 6.5 times the uh, billion times the mass of the sun, right? So it's hard to locate yourself. It's hard to uh, know that you matter. It's hard to hold on to the fact that you have meaning and significance. And even meaning and significance to God, the creator of the whole universe, right? It's hard to get a sense of your own consequence in one hand, while also holding on to how huge the universe is without falling into, my opinion, apathy or denial. You may just ignore the big things around you because they're too overwhelming or they, they uh, make you feel too small. Or you might just resign yourself to not being able to do anything about them, anything about the world. You might resign yourself to not having any agency at all. Maybe you've experienced these kind of pulls that I'm creating. Maybe you haven't, but I have. Both denying the magnitude around me or resigning myself to just thinking I can't do much about it. And I hope you're drawing this image a little bit beyond just you and the black hole. Right? Because there's a lot of things that overwhelm us. There's a lot of things that seem to escape our agency, our tiny locus of control. That might just overwhelm you. You can't do anything about it. I can't, I can't, um, I don't know how to function in the world without just ignoring it all or just resigning myself to apathy. You know, we might cut everything down to size a size that we can understand so we're not overwhelmed. Or we might be obsessed with how big the universe is or how big even God is or even how big Jesus' plan for world redemption is and think what we're doing is totally useless. You know, it's hard to imagine yourself as an, as an agent in God's world's redemption if you really consider the magnitude of God. At least for me it is. It's like, what am I doing here? You know, helping you save the world? You know, I imagine it like I'm a like I'm a kid with a with a toy screwdriver, helping his mom out with a construction project or something. Like, hey, I'm, I did my part. I'm here helping the cause, even though, well, you're mainly going to do it, right? That 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 can kind of, and maybe that's a good way to look at it. Maybe it's not. I don't know, but I think that's that's the feeling I get sometimes. I loved listening to these scientists talk about the black hole because they really believed they did something amazing. And they did. 
And I think it takes a lot of self-awareness, knowing yourself, self-worth, knowing how much you are valued to be able to team with 200 others to take a photo of something that impossibly big and that impossibly far away. And then also think you're doing your part in making the world better. I mean, I love that. I, I love the faith. I'm inspired by them. You know, my faith is emboldened as a result of my encounter with these people. You know, I feel, I feel, I feel, no, I can do my part too. For this group, we have faith. You know, why wouldn't we? You, you, you are here right now. You get to observe something of this magnitude. You know, you are something, and you can consider yourself something. You know, you, you, uh, how strange it is, you know, to be anything, right? To be alive, to exist, to have an essence, and to have an existence. That's a classical way to look at your own consciousness. An essence, a what you are, and an existence, a that you are. You know, you have both of those things. That's mysterious in its own right, right? There's something bigger happening in the world. There's a, there's a contingency even to your life. There's a contingency to the universe. That means that you are dependent upon something greater than you are, right? That's, that's, this is the problem, you know. There is something instead of nothing. And we get to think about it and experience it and live in it, right? So there's, a, there's something happening. That is a, that, that, that's all, in my opinion, fertile ground for faith. I need that faith to hold on to the good that God is doing in the world and also to see my part in it. That's how I felt again when I was reading the triumphant entry this week and wondering about how to even talk about this massive event that Jesus was inaugurating. I was up in the middle of the night for some reason thinking about how big, how big this idea was, how big Holy Week is, how big the death of Jesus is and how, to, how do we even grasp it? How do we even hold on to it? It's not unlike, for me, grasping the magnitude of something as big as a black hole. There's a massive event that Jesus is inaugurating by entering into Jerusalem. Something new is happening. There's a cosmic battle beginning. Let's read that perhaps familiar passage to you once again. Here the disciples have fetched a colt for Jesus to ride, and they, they, they throw their uh, clothes on it, and they set Jesus upon it. Someone out loud read these uh, eight verses or so. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees and the tribes said to him, Rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. 
For the day will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. I feel like in the in the uh, in Luke 19 there. I mean, I've been doing this for a few years. I don't always get to the second paragraph. You know, kind of just once Jesus enters and they say, Hosanna, it's over. Something more is happening. A lot is happening in the passage. More than we can possibly get into in this short time. But I want you to imagine, maybe this isn't a good uh, way for you to imagine this, but I want you to imagine, imagine this, this cosmic battle happening like uh, like like the like the beginning of a wrestling match right on a like pro wrestling you know where where Jesus is like the announcer is introducing Jesus into the ring he's descending down from the mount of olives and he draws the attention of the crowd and they start yelling and praising Jesus as the one who comes in the name of the Lord, bringing peace and glory. Something, something is happening there. An event is happening. To these people, they're praising him because of the good works he has done on earth. And when you name Jesus Lord, you're not just expressing a personal opinion. No, there's something cosmic about that. You're making a, a statement about the whole world and how it is governed by God. Jesus is Lord isn't a personal statement. Not to distract you too much, it's a determinative political statement. When I say political, I don't mean like national politics. I mean Jesus is, is ruling the world. The reign of Jesus is beginning. Jesus is Lord. The Pharisees are a conservative political religious order in Judaism at the time of Jesus, and they oppose Roman occupation in particular. And even though Judaism is legal in Rome, the Pharisees think and are worried that their faith is going to get too watered down as they assimilate into Greco-Roman culture. And they tell Jesus' disciples to pipe down. Quiet down. Tell your disciples to quiet down. Why do they do that? Conceivably, we don't know why. The text doesn't reveal anything specific about that. So now we're left with our assumptions. Conceivably, they're doing it because they want to uh, dissent against this royal affirmation of Jesus, this political statement being said about Jesus being Lord. Presumably, they could be doing that. Alternatively, and I even think more likely, they're telling Jesus' disciples to simmer down so the Roman authorities don't come and stop what they think is a potential uprising. You know, quiet down. They're all around us. You know, something's going to happen. We don't know exactly. And the Pharisees don't know either what's in store. They think Jesus might be enacting a small political revolution, perhaps. They might be threatened by Jesus in, in, a, in the uh, introduction of a new political religious idea in him. He has, he has his own disciples doing something. But this is more than a protest. And much more than even a conquest of a political power. Jesus says, if his disciples are quiet, the stones won't be. What does that even mean? The stones, the stones are affected by 
the event that's about to occur. There is material consequence to what Jesus is about to do. Material as in in reality, in, in the matter, in the world. This is not theoretical. It's something substantial. It's, no, it's not just an idea. Something is being depicted, experienced. The stones are affected by what's about to occur. There's material consequence. There's, there's something great afoot. A great battle is about to be waged. One against death. Death will try this week to swallow its opponent to Jesus. And it will spit him back out. Right? That's the resurrection. Even death can't stomach Jesus. Thus, death is defeated. This is a familiar scene Jesus surrounded by people, parting away, inaugurating something new. And it's not unlike that moment when God creates a new people and has a new plan and a new way for a world's redemption through the liberation of the Israelites from Egypt, as you might know the story of the Exodus. When Moses guided those slaves to freedom, something new was happening. And in Jesus' mind, this is the fullness of that liberation. This is the ultimate punctuation of it. And he is saddened to the point of tears when Jerusalem from the mountain, when he views Jerusalem from the mountaintop, he cries because of their lack of faith, their own blindness, their own blindness to the visitation of the incarnate one, the visitation of the Lord, blind to the peace that Jesus brings. And their blindness to it will lead to their own destruction is the ominous prophecy He's sad that God's people, the ones within his immediate vicinity, do not see him and do not even see their own destruction. He's, he's bringing the prophetic lament that you see all over the Bible, especially in Jeremiah, as Jeremiah, who predicts Jerusalem's fall at the hands of the Babylonians, Then they didn't listen to Jeremiah. And here, they're not listening to the very remnant of hope that Jeremiah prophesied in Jesus, who was again predicting the downfall of Jerusalem at the hands of the Romans. And surely that will happen. God's plan is bigger than just Jerusalem, though. It's it's bigger than the miracles for which Jesus was being praised. They know who Jesus is because of what Jesus did. They don't even know exactly what's going to happen or what the big plan is. What Jesus is doing is big enough to affect the entire world. Uh, A war waged against death. Jesus is inaugurating a whole new reality. He's fulfilling the promise of God. He's extending the covenant of Abraham to everyone. The whole world is going to be saved. Death is going to be defeated once and for all. Jesus, through this entry... In his ultimate, and ultimately his death, is creating a whole new people group. Again, to proclaim this message to the world. Just like we did when we observed the Lord's Supper, we broadcast his death when we eat his body and blood. The cosmic magnitude of this event is graspable by humankind 
in this moment of incarnation, of uh, introduction, of inauguration, Jesus being Lord. We can now grasp the cosmic. And you can play a part in its very broadcast, awakening people to become conscious of this event of salvation, its own event horizon. People, you know, may need to awaken themselves to this. And if we don't cry out, the stones will. So we do our part in this cosmic event of, of, of uh, liberation by living in consciousness of it, in awareness of it, and sharing in its reality. We tell the story of the new kingdom of life that liberates us from death. And maybe we have trouble grasping the gravity of the event. Jesus defeats death by dying. It really is completely counterintuitive, and it's not really how we envision that sort of consequence. Today, we still think most of our life and liberation even happens through conquest and power struggles. That's still the paradigm that's in our mind. We don't, we don't have another way of doing it. We still think we need to collect political power to, to, to affect change. We still have that idea. Jesus is, is, is dying to change the world. It's a whole different way of thinking about it, so we have to keep talking about it. Jesus' alternative brings a whole other mechanism, not through his empowerment, but in fact his disempowerment, inaugurated as Lord only to die. And through the very fact that he became human and also through his death, right? You see debasement. You see disempowerment in Jesus. Something else is happening. How can we express this promise through our lives? We really have to demonstrate it. We have to show the world that we're different because of our encounter with Christ. Something new has to happen. And I think Christians have had some success about this over time, but have also failed quite a bit too. Not distinguishing ourselves as servants of Jesus, but just getting kind of lumped into whatever cultural movement is happening. You know, whether it's a Constantine's army, whether it's um, Imperial Rome, Christendom, or the Enlightenment, or whatever philosophical thing we're in now. But in our world, we have sometimes demonstrated it well and sometimes not. At our worst, we're the ones enslaving them. So we have to be the alternative. We have to do it another way. And I think Circle of Hope is trying to do that. To broadcast the cosmic power of Jesus' death and what it inaugurates in the world. And your participation makes you a part of that project. It puts you on the team. You're not unlike one of the scientists who helps photograph the black hole in the middle of M87, right? You're, you're, uh, you're on the team. You're helping to bring to light something that people have just speculated about or maybe just felt the pull of. You're naming the change agent and helping people to know him and how he impacts the world. Jesus is like a photograph of this impossible force that we can't even comprehend. And, and, and we do that together through simple ways. You know, It's hard to say, how am I going to express the magnitude of this event to the world when we have such simple means to do it? Like we do that through the life of ourselves, 
a movement of people knowing Jesus by knowing each other. That's the, that's the contribution. Some of you might think that's insignificant. But I would say it's not. You know, organizing your life to do that is a big deal. A movement that multiplies and grows, touches people in, in intimate settings, but can still touch more without losing them, that's a big deal. We build real community that people share in, contribute to, lead through. We give, we do that by giving hope to people in despair. People find it in worship. Maybe you found a little tonight. People find it in prayer, in relationship. And even using the practical tools that we get from the world around us, including psychotherapy. We broadcast the message through a commitment to peace and justice. No, God actually changed us. There's a material consequence to that. And we give people practical ways to express them, right? I don't want to reduce the work of the church in revealing and broadcasting this death, this, this, this great moment. Because I think this is why we're even gathered as a point of strategy to be able to substantively do something. You can imagine the cosmic event as we're walking this week towards the cross and, and onto a resurrection. You can imagine all of that is incomprehensibly huge. And telling that story is one way to participate in it, to make it, to make sense. To make it make sense to people practically. You're helping to photograph the uh, event by naming Jesus out loud. And I want you right now, even in this meeting, to know, no, you're adding something to this. I really believe that we're on a team together doing it, you know. And, 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 and the joy that those scientists expressed, I think we can have too at the work that we're doing. Yes, Jesus is changing the whole world. It's bigger than we imagined. But you're not irrelevant to it. You're changed through it too. You're impacted by it too. You're given hope through it too. There might be material consequence in you because of this greater thing that's happening. And the things you do, the things you say, the way you live matters. It broadcasts the message to the world. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.